0: Hello again. It's Jason from Dorstonia. Yes, I know. We've been a little slow with our new episodes. I admit it, we've all been binging. It was the season. Wining, dining, family, friends, and some obligatory work in between. But, with the Christmas success now officially over, we're getting lean and mean for 2019. So, we'd like to thank all of our listeners and our contributors for their support so far, and to wish everyone health and happiness for the bold new year ahead. If you enjoy, please do spread the word and subscribe on iTunes, Android, or Spotify. But before we close the chapter on 2018 completely, we've got some unfinished business. Way back in our debut episode, we met local beekeeper Amanda Hayes. A great interview, and if you haven't heard it yet, you should definitely check it out. She's part of a growing local community of residents committed to amongst other things, affordable, sustainable local produce.
1: I think we're just like-minded people and we're concerned about environmental issues. We're concerned that people who don't have a lot of money can afford good food. So it's, it's, it's a sort of a theme that's building and it's a, I think it's sort of feel like it's at the beginning of something. So I should be extremely interested to see what happens next.
0: Well, right here this 2019, we're going to explore one such possibility. What happens when good food and good people get together to make a pop-up restaurant sourced entirely from hackney produce? Welcome to Dalstonia, random encounters with the people and the places just off the ginger line. Each week, we take a theme and we run with it, wherever it takes us. So join us this episode for some feasts and foraging. i let Amanda introduce this week's guest.
1: There's a friend of my son who's a chef and he was starting up doing sort of local pop-ups and he was very keen to use Hackney products and also has had some honey from me, which he's using in his special Hackney meals along with food and forage, etc., that he's got from other local producers. And then he linked me in with... Um, London City Farm, where there's a, an eco-shop.
0: This links back to our first ever interview, Jack Agnew, remember? And he's the founder of... Get Loose It's the package-free shop that we've set up here at Hackney City Farm. They're committed to affordable, sustainable local produce. And as Amanda says...
1: Less use of plastic, less use of packaging. So that was a, a really nice link through, supporting young people in there, trying to be entrepreneurial... Um, and also local, so that was all good.
0: And our chef, who connects beekeeper to shopkeeper, is interested in more than just cooking. Back to Jack. So cucumbers and the courgettes, were both grown in his garden to make those pickles there and the chutney. And we're using jars that have been uh, reused, so he sterilises them. And you can bring in jars, and then we send them to him to be sterilised, and he fills them up with local goodies. So just who is this gardener, forager and chef. Let's jump back to a brisk September evening, just off Mayor Street, to find out. So, here we are. Uh, I wondered if I could get you to introduce yourself, please.
2: Yeah, sure. My name's Aidan Brooks, and I run a pop-up supper club called 1198.
0: 1198. A very curious name. Can you tell us a bit more?
2: People always ask me. That's always the first thing that people ask me. Um, 1198 is a year, it's the year in which um, according to historical records and a lot, a lot of research is the year in which the word Hackney was first used in, in writing like it is in the, the year in which the, the name Hackney was first documented previous to that it was called Eye, which was meant the area kind of where Hackney Marshes is that used to be actual obviously genuine marshland and there was some Danish guy called Hacker, and he owned most of that whole area so Eye was like an island belonging to Hacker, which was an island that was in the marshes
0: so why have you gone for the full-on full-out hackneyness
2: because i was born in homerton hospital in 87 and grew up in hackney um grew up in london fields area and i i always kind of felt like hackney is a, is a very special borough in the sense that it has so much of a community feel to it and more so than like for instance like on the website in the kind of about section i talk about how if you ask say if i ask friends of mine oh, where are you from they might say oh, i'm from clapham they wouldn't say, oh, I'm from the borough of um, whichever borough of Clapham belongs. Or they wouldn't say, oh, I'm from, I'm from, I'm from Bow. They wouldn't say, I'm from Tower Hamlets. Whereas if you say to someone, where are you from? They won't say, I'm from Stone Newington. They'll go, I'm from Hackney. It's feel like, there's this kind of all-encompassing community feel to Hackney that I don't feel like you get anywhere else. And for that reason, when you grow up in Hackney, you have such a strong sense of identity for the borough. And you, you know, it's really close to your heart. Well, it's close to mine anyway.
0: So, you are by trade then local and you're a chef, is that right?
2: Indeed, yes, I'm a chef. So, I've started, yeah, I've been chefing since I was, ni- well, full time since I was 19, so 11 years now. So, when I first graduated from college, I actually moved to Spain, I lived in Barcelona um, for a year and a half. So, my first kind of few professional jobs were in Barcelona. So, like at the end of college, everyone else wanted to go and work for Gordon Ramsay, and I just wasn't interested in that at all. And I wanted to broaden my kind of horizons. I wanted to work somewhere where I felt like I would really, really learn. At that point, Spain was kind of the forefront of world gastronomy. This is before like the Scandies started becoming cool and Noma started doing stuff. This is when El Bulli was like the biggest restaurant in the world and the Can Roca and, the, you know, the, all the places in the Basque country. Like, this is when Spain was massively at the forefront and I was like, no, I want to be there. So I just moved myself there.
0: So is your food basically influenced by Spain? Is that what you bring to bring to your pop up?
2: I'd say definitely it's influenced by by Spain just because it's one of the cuisines that, that I love the most. Um, I'd also say Turkish as well. Turkish, like growing up in Hackney, especially around the kind of thorsten Stone, newington area, also going up to Manor House, uh, up Green Lanes. Like I grew up with so many Turkish friends and eating Turkish food all the time. It's just one of the staples. So for me, like putting sumac on my menu feels really natural to me. It doesn't, or using labneh or something like that. It feels very natural in a way that it's intrinsic to Hackney community and, and to the Hackney feel. And that's why it, it feels right, you know. Um, but, yeah, I guess the main kind of influence is, is the produce obviously coming from Hackney. That's the, the main kind of, that's the main...
0: So so all of the produce comes from Hackney?
2: Every single thing that I put on the menu comes from Hackney. Is
0: that, that's that's a real labour of love. Is that actually become a really hard thing to do?
2: Yeah, well, people, like, one of the first things people always ask me is is that not a massive challenge? Like, why on earth did you come up with that concept? And I say, yes, it is a massive challenge, um, but it's a challenge that I see as a positive challenge. Rather than say, like, it's not something that someone else has set me, and I'm going, oh, I've got to do this. Like, this is a challenge that I intentionally set myself, knowing that it would be really difficult, but knowing that that would also really push me to be creative and to think outside the box and to also kind of reverse engineer the way that I create ideas. Like, I don't go, oh i could do a dish that has any ingredient in the world that i want what could i do it with let me buy the ingredients i have to go opposite i you know i have to go right what produce is growing in hackney what am i growing in my own garden what are the guys that i work with growing what's growing right now or what have i preserved from previous seasons how can i use that what can i create a dish you know how can i create a dish with these things so i I literally have to reverse engineer it which is challenging and sometimes a little bit depressing but fun
0: to the layman thinking of hackney they're not thinking fresh food and stuff so can you tell me a bit more about your producers and and the people in hackney actually supplying you yeah
2: of course so literally the first person i ever contacted before even starting all of this was a woman called sophie who is the head grower for the hackney patchwork farms um, which is part of growing communities Um, they are a an a an organization that run a veg box scheme and a salad bag scheme Um, all over Hackney. And they have loads of pickup points all around the place. Um, So they've got nine different plots across Hackney, kind of community allotments. They work primarily with volunteers, um, but there's obviously a few employees. And Sophie um, is the head grower. And I emailed her over a year ago as the kind of first port of call, like, you know, go into a search engine. Who's growing vegetables in Hackney? Obviously, it's the first first thing you need to look at. Looked at them, um, and so I've been using them regularly once a week she'll give me a text and I'll go and pick up from the old fire, the old fire station um, in Stoke Newington. That's where their kind of HQ is. That's where they, you know, d- d- uh, do all the boxes, fill up all the boxes and stuff for their veg scheme. And I literally just go there and pick up an order once a week. She tells me what's growing. She tells me what's there. I might ask her what she's got um, and, I'll, and I'll go and pick stuff up from her. Um, that's, the kind of, that's the main external source that I've got. Um, there's also St. Mary's Secret Garden, um, which is, again, a community run garden in Hoxton. Right behind the Jeffrey Museum, they are more a garden that's they don't grow for a business for a profit as such. What they do is they take on um, lots of volunteers that have been through mental health issues and/or are still going through mental mental health issues, um, and basically um, take them on um, as volunteers, which gives them therapeutic work through obviously you know gardening's incredibly therapeutic. They've got um, people that they can. they can network with they're meeting friends that are going there on a regular basis um and also just having fun and relaxing in natural environments like in a garden and seeing bees pollinate stuff and planting and obviously harvesting and and for me that's a really important uh, a really important part of 1198 is working with people that are doing like good things like that and it's kind of win-win because the guys that volunteer there they're they're getting something out of it and I can go and pick up produce from them, which is amazing, you know?
0: It's Something that I've actually really discovered is the actual sense of community in Hackney. Oh,
2: very and much, yeah.
0: It, and there is actually, uh, it seems that people have kind of just phoned each other and it's word yeah. of mouth and, and that kind of stuff. Is, yeah. that, is that how you find the people that you're working with now?
2: Very, very much so. Um, for instance, I found out that there's some, so I was reading an article about a guy who forages in the borough called John the Poacher, he's a bit of a local legend, Um, he hunts, he fishes, uh, he forages all over the place, there's not a tree, I doubt if there's a tree growing in the borough that he doesn't know where it is, if it's grown food on it, Um, I was reading an article about him and in the article the person who was interviewing him was walking along with him and they stopped off at a gin distillery by Hackney Downs. I thought, oh, my God, someone's making gin and hackney. Bingo. Obviously, I'm looking out for things that are not just food in the sense of fruits and vegetables, but people that are creating produce and, and, and great things. I thought, oh, I'll go down and see them. Emailed, um, arranged, a, uh, arranged a little um, little chat with them, went down to the distillery, literally just kind of behind Hackney Down Studios, got chatting to them, and they said, oh, we've got to tell you about John the Poacher, because he, po- he, he forages our botanicals. Sometimes he gets some juniper, some sloes, whatever. And I thought, why do I know that name, John the Poacher? because I'd read about it and that was how I'd found out about these guys and that is so typical of the way that I find that people in Hackney at the moment in in the food circles and in in terms of community growing and in terms of um, plastic reduction and the whole kind of food waste issues around sustainability people that are in in moving in the same circles and also have the same kind of mindset just tell each other about each other and then this I use the word incest in a positive way and it it's so incestuous. Everyone knows everyone and everyone's kind of, you know, in, in terms of jumping in the bed, literally in a, in a, in a positive way, in, in the sense of, like, these guys are doing this great thing, these guys are doing this great thing, let's get them matched up because their byproduct might suit those guys for making this other thing that they make and it's such a nice relationship. It's part of closing the loop, in a way, you know? It's um, closing the loop with people as well as with the, in the environment.
0: Aidan has an obvious affinity with people. But also with nature. So I asked him where it might have come from. The answer was not too far from home.
2: Yeah, obviously, growing up in the borough, my, my, my parents used to take me to Hackney City Farm as a kid. Um, for me, that was, well, obviously, I don't remember because I was, I was very little, but that was probably the first exposure that I had to seeing farmyard animals. You know, if you grow up in a concrete jungle, um, I'm not saying we were dirt poor and couldn't afford to go to Suffolk if we wanted to, but you know, go to the countryside, but. That was literally my first exposure to, to, to farm out animals, to seeing donkeys and to seeing chickens running around. Because you grow up in the inner city, it's not the kind of things you see every day. Um, and yeah, so I know the place from just obviously it being a part of my childhood. Um, and funny enough, I think it was for an Instagram post that came up and I saw something about Jack and his shop get loose, um, that he'd set it up and thought, oh wow, like young lad, like doing something really great. And I literally just cycled over there one day, popped in said hello we got chatting um, and ever since we've kind of started a bit of a, a friendship and a business relationship as well. I invited him down to one of my supper clubs as a guest to say thank you just because Growing Communities are really fundamental to the way that I work, him and a couple of other members of the, of the team at Growing Communities um, and um, when everyone was finished we were all having a schmooze, having a chat and he said oh I've got a couple of ideas for you, what do you think? And he said... Say for instance, you've got a glut of cucumbers. I grow a lot of stuff in my own garden. So sometimes it's even more than you can actually handle. Um, uh, And he said, say you've got a glut of something or you've gone out foraging and you've got more, way more than you can deal with. Why don't you just, you know, jar it up, preserves, pickles or jams or what have you or chutneys and I'll put them on a shelf and you can stick a flyer on the, on the shelf and you can sell your produce through, through the shop. And I thought, wow was an incredibly good idea so yeah we've ever since then that's what we've been doing so literally i went out foraging today i took about what nearly three kilos of hawthorns just along the river lee up by springfield park um and i'll make jelly out of those i actually dropped off some rosehip jelly to him literally just before getting here actually um that i'd made um yesterday um and yeah so that's that's i tried to do it with foraged items so that in terms of my cost it's almost zero because i i repurposed jars Um, obviously clean them out and sterilize them, but the idea is it's a nice way to reuse jars and also make a bit of money and also showcase uh, what I do in his shop and also have a nice working relationship with someone that is in the same kind of mind state and is also a really great person.
0: So it's only in the last couple of weeks actually, shamefully, that I've heard a lot about people foraging can mm. you just th- explain really what it is and what's
2: the deal well i guess normally when you use the word foraging typically you would imagine someone who's out in the countryside in the meadows um and run you know along kind of along rivers in the country um wild garlic and blossoms and what have you what i do is you know, urban foraging if you will obviously i only take stuff from within the borough of hackney so when i'm along the river lee i do not cross the other side of the river lee because that becomes wolf and forest um so yeah, that's, that's a no-go for me. Um, but yeah, so I just kind of go around the borough. What I tend to do is, I did a little bit of research before going out for the first time, read about a few particular spots where there's like, oh, there's a plum tree here, you can get good, uh, there's a load of elder trees over here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and thought, all right, I'll pop down, see how it goes, brought a few bags with me. And then you go to one spot and you go, ah, oh, crikey, there's also some rowan trees down there and there's also an apple tree down there. I can tell it's an apple tree because i recognize the blossoms in a few months time there'll be apples growing there i'll pop back and you take a mental note and every time for me every time i go to a new spot or go even to a spot that i've been to before i'll notice something that i didn't see before because maybe the the fruit wasn't actually there previously when i went a few months ago there were blossoms maybe i didn't know what those blossoms were and then the next time you pop down you're like ah crikey there's damsons or oh there's cherries for instance and it's a case of for me the, 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 the most fulfillment that I get out of it is connecting with nature, turning my phone off, and you know forgetting, obviously, all of the other things, the all, all the kind of other aspects of the way that I work are really, really important. And sending off emails and doing promotion and social media and stuff, but they're not the, you know, they're not the bits that I'm passionate about. They're not the bits that you get up out of bed in the morning for. What I do that for is to like, connect with nature and just literally just put all the, the boring stuff to one side for a moment. And feel like you're really alive, and to be like honestly, I feel like the most awake and the most alive when I'm out, just on the hedgerow picking stuff, because it makes you kind of remember how the world works. You know.
0: Again, it sounds like a bit of a contrast. If you say Hackney, yeah, nature is not the first thing that springs to my mind. I knew you said you're a kind of you're an urban,
2: very much an urban lad. yeah, Yeah. So
0: how did you get like? tuned into the nature thing, how did you start taking notice of the nature around you where you live?
2: Well, funnily enough, Hackney has 57 parks and green spaces, and I, I remember reading that not that long ago. Um, so in terms of green spaces in, in any given London borough, it's actually very, very green. Um, I think, I guess say like my parents would take me to the you know, Clissold Park or something when I was a kid, you know, go over London Fields, or go over to, the, you know, Springfield Park, any of the many parks. When you... You can walk around parks and enjoy yourself and have fun and not necessarily pay attention to what's there. But I guess you're still connecting with nature in a way and you're still feeling like you're having... Well, it's a therapeutic kind of thing, you know? You're relaxing, so you're lying down on the grass. Oh, there's worms, there's, you know, bugs, you can hear crickets. Like, you can feel like maybe you're in the countryside when you're in the inner city, um, especially actually when you're walking up the River Lee. If you, walk, if you go up to Springfield Park and walk along the River Lee, in in kind of the Hackney uh, marshes direction, um, you don't feel like you're in Hackney at all. You think I could literally be in Somerset or in in Norfolk right here, and and you forget for a moment. Wow, I'm actually in Hackney, um, but there's so much green space around, and there's so much growing um, for foraging terms. If you open your eyes and, and I don't mean that in a patronising way I mean when you've done it a few times and you learn how to s- notice things more you look up you look down you're looking for oh there might be something growing down there something growing at the foot of a tree something growing up in the bushes when you've seen it you can't unsee it and you can't not notice things anymore and that's a beautiful thing about I think what foraging does is it does that for me anyway I think nature is very much connected to, to, to food I wanted I wanted 1198's like my offering to be like totally based around the local environment. Um, I want it to be so connected to nature. And that's why I set myself the challenge of only using the produce that's grown in Hackney, Um, whether it's foraged or cultivated Um, that I, I wanted to set that challenge because I feel that that's just the best way of working and it's not necessarily everyone's way of working and it's difficult to do that in the inner city. It's easy if you're in the countryside and you have a lovely destination restaurant and you have a bloody 20 acre farm. As part of your your business, it's very easy to be able to achieve that, and you have two, three full-time gardeners. Plan ahead with the seasons, sowing, harvesting. What I do is very, very different in the sense that I've got to do everything. So I've got to source the product, physically go out and get the product, or sow seeds and cultivate a product myself. Wait for it to grow. Understand how it grows. Know when to harvest it. Know when to um, to plant more seeds. And I, like, the, I find that such a massive challenge, but a really fulfilling challenge. And it really, it's connected me to nature. And I guess that's what's taught me about nature really, is doing this and like growing. For instance, I'd never grown vegetables before. I've never grown anything in my life. Apart from, you know, you, you know stick the odd seed in a bit of cotton wool when you're a kid in school. That's irrelevant. Um, but for me, the act of completely renovating my garden, turning over the entire soil, Um, laying you know 300 no 500 kilos of compost earth cast uh, worm castings and coffee grains literally creating something from scratch creating a new a new land planting seeds in specific places watching them grow understanding how they grow you understand the life cycle of different plants and you therefore respect them so much more and that filters down to the way that you treat the produce when you actually have the produce in your hand you're like you know you're trimming something up or you're peeling something up you like, i'm not going to throw this in the bin i grew this myself like i'm you develop an ultimate respect for the product when you either grew it yourself more so when you grow it yourself but also when you have to produ- when you have to find it yourself and you don't have the luxury of calling someone up and going yeah 10 kilo of carrots for tomorrow please and they're on the doorstep like i have that luxury if i want it but i choose not to take it like, do you think it's made you a better chef definitely I th- okay, better. I don't know, the, better is a subjective word, and I don't like to. It makes me. It makes me feel like I'm doing what I want to be doing in terms of m- the way that like my passions within food, um, and and being so closely connected to nature and, and and food growing, I feel like it makes me a more aware chef, um, and I feel like it makes me a, maybe a better chef within within myself. Like I feel more proud of what I do, and of course, I'm cook- well, I'm putting on a plate what I want to eat. I'm putting on the plate things to showcase the borough in which I was born and grew up, and that I'm so proud of. Um, but yeah, first and foremost, I'm producing dishes whereby this is a business that I run. I'm literally by myself, I'm the sole employee of my business. Um, I don't have to answer to anyone. And, we, and, I, and this is the first time in my entire career, obviously, where I've had that luxury, where I have absolute autonomy over what I put on the menu, over every single decision that I make with regards to how I run the business. And that is within itself a pleasure. It's a, It's also a, a bucket full of stress because you have no one else who's next on the line um, and, and anything, any criticism or any negativity that's aimed towards it is literally your head and, and you have no one else that you complain. But at the same time, when you do things well and people enjoy what you do and they write comments, whether it be online or they're telling you to your face when you're talking to them at the end of a supper club and like when people, are positive and when people are saying oh my god like I absolutely I love this and this it makes you feel it I think it makes it feel more special when when you're personally aware of the great lengths and the great trouble that you go to in order to create what you do and and, and, and I mean what, what I do because certainly when I'm coming out to the table because you know, I have a lot of interaction with the guests throughout the whole evening that's the kind of the process um, and I come out Um, with my girlfriend Briony she obviously my hostess and she runs front of house for me and and We give the dishes out together and and I explain the dishes each time I don't stand there for 10 minutes boring everyone while the food's going cold but give a little explanation because I like to explain every single dish that I put out has to have something of hackney in it and Typically it has to have a plant-based product in there a fresh plant based So some kind of fruit or vegetable or nut or whatever it is That was that was cultivated in the borough because for me otherwise that's not doing what I set out to do, and it's not doing what I what I promise, which is providing a, a an entire meal that's ex, that entirely uses um, Hackney grown produce. I'll tell you that for sure. Um, like while I was working full time for obviously my previous employer, um, I was you know, head chef at a restaurant doing crazy hours, um, and simultaneously trying to start this business. And yeah, it takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of doing um, an 8.30 a.m. until midnight shift with sometimes not a break in the middle, then getting home, then sitting there on the computer until three o'clock in the morning, um, you know, researching, emailing people, crunching numbers, all of the things that go into starting up a business, trying to you know, find out about people that are growing in the borough, trying to get hold of licensing and all of the, 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 the boring stuff that come with it, all the paperwork. And doing that simultaneously while your girlfriend's been asleep for four hours already and you haven't actually seen her for three days. Uh, yeah, it puts a lot of strain on, on, on you physically and, and also mentally. But I also think that when you have the motivation of doing something for yourself for the first time, where, as I said previously, where, where it's, it's your baby, it's your, it's, your, it's your little seedling and you're creating it and you're able to do whatever you want and take it in, in any direction that you want, that pride gives you that motivation I feel and you know that you're doing it for yourself and you know that you're reaping the rewards at the end of the day and I don't mean financially I mean spiritually as well as financially you know obviously it's a business yeah it needs to make money but simultaneously um, there needs to be a love in it you know and if you're truly in love with what you do which I feel like I am doing this then you will go to the ends of the earth to make it work
0: do chefs hang out with one another? Do they, do they swap tips? Are, they, are you friends with a lot of other chefs? Is
2: yeah, it... I keep in touch with a lot of ex-colleagues actually. The chefs that I've worked with in the past and even front of house waiters and, and restaurant managers and things, people that, that, um, that I've always been friendly with and cultivated great relationships with, yeah, I've kept in touch with them. I think as chefs of other people you feel like this kind of band of brothers and sisters, you know, you feel like you're frontline soldiers when you're working in a kitchen Physical, like physical and mental stress, all day, every day, and that make that. I think that allows you to develop closer relationships with people. If you're sat across a desk from someone, you might work with them for 10 years, but how much do you really know about them? You can get to you can get to know a lot about someone working, you know, five straight doubles in a row with the same person, because you see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> you know.
0: It, it seems like also there's a there's a real understanding of uh, when you you when you really care about the the produce the elements mm. that go into the cooking people really understand like on an elemental basis mm. how food works yeah and I, I don't know if you can confirm this but i remember um i was reading about it with a chef and they, they had to do an addition a signature dish for somebody mm. and it seemed like them creating that dish and the the chef trying it yeah it was like they played music to somebody and just by tasting it they understood the song and then could go off and make it themselves? Does that sound reasonable? Is that crazy?
2: I understand the concept, um, very much so. I think maybe some restaurants are more like recipe-based and and far more strict in terms of... Like, I've worked in places where it was very much this is the exact recipe. You follow this to the T. If it's anything different, throw it in the bin. I'm not happy. And I've worked in other places where there was a little bit more spontaneity and a little bit more of a free reign to... Say, uh ah, okay, we need to make a mayonnaise i've got ten ways of making a mayonnaise. Make me a great tasting mayonnaise that's the that's the end of it, you know, as opposed to it has to be exactly like this, and twelve point five grams of vinegar and at the end of the day, the customer's not necessarily going to notice if you miscalculate by three grams it, If you make a nice tasting mayonnaise, then you've made a nice tasting mayonnaise um, and I guess yeah, different people have different ways of working um but yeah, sometimes you can taste a dish and I guess you can understand you 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 understand what it means and you understand the thought process that the chef put into it and it makes sense to you and there's obviously if it's a, if it's a dish that works and there's a kind of harmoniousness if that's a word to 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 the elements and there's a cohesion and things work together yeah it does sometimes feel like music um that's a good analogy actually
0: if you're saying mm. local produce mm. you're definitely going seasonal oh yeah uh, so, you know, that's a lot of recipes throughout the year, is that not? Um, yeah, so the way that I
2: work is essentially because I have contact with these producers in the borough, I'm able to pop by on a weekly basis and pick stuff up. Um, I'm also, because I've been a chef for so many years, I'm, I, I have a fairly fundamental understanding of how the seasons work. You know, you know okay, in autumn time, wild mushrooms are around. You know hedgerow fruits are around you know that in summertime soft fruits are around and berries are around you know that come the winter time you have more brassicas and root vegetables but doing what i do i think it's like you know the film inception it's like i'm going three layers down like in terms of um understanding how the seasons work on a like uber seasonality kind of basis because um, it's not just oh i happen to know that in this month in europe these things grow it's not necessarily about that for instance i can't use asparagus because no one uses no one grows it in hackney well not that i'm aware of anyway uh, maybe i'll find that one day but there are people growing rhubarb actually both of the guys that i work with um grow rhubarb um, and i can get a hold of rhubarb and i have and i've used it plentifully the first few menus that i did um obviously i started in springtime beginning of kind of end of spring coming into into summer i used quite a lot of rhubarb but yeah something like asparagus. I don't care if it grows this time of year, if it's not growing in Hackney, then it's not going on my menu. Um, and I have, to, I, have to, I have to kind of live with that, but at the same time, when you put restrictions on yourself, it makes you more creative, I feel. You have to fight for it and you have to go and find it, which makes you discover more, I feel, you know?
0: And what's the format then for your, for your pop-up restaurant? You've got a location, you move around.
2: Um, so in the kind of initial stages, what we've been doing is testing out the waters, trying different um, menu sizes, so I've done nine courses, I've done six courses, I've done five courses. I've also, you know, tested out, uh, bring your own booze or I've also tested out doing drinks pairings, again, using um, drinks procured in Hackney, so Hackney produced gin, Hackney produced vodka, um, also buying, obviously with things like wines, if it can't physically be grown, produced in Hackney and no one's actually physically making it, then I'll buy it from local independent uh, retailers. That's kind of the next port of call after it not being a product that's physically made in the borough. Because for me, that's in a way still investing in the local community and investing in the local economy. For me, that's still fine because it ties in with my philosophies. You know? I'm still giving back to Hackney in a way.
0: And yeah. so um, for you, what's the kind of perfect 11.98 evening? What's, what's the reward? What's the, what's, mm. what's the takeaway for you?
2: The reward for me, I guess, is enjoying the evening and having a good time and being alongside people that I respect and, and working with people that I love working with. Um, it's seeing smiles on the face of the guests, having a packed out house, obviously, <laughs> having a, a full table. Um, That's obviously great. I mean, not just for financial reasons, but also just for the buzz. Like when you've got a full table of people, just everyone's chatting away and everyone's having a good time and like seeing smiles on people's faces. And when you when you're plating up and you're getting along with your work and you look up and you see just people interacting and you're like, wow, they're all here to come to this that I created. And sometimes you can't almost you almost can't believe it because you see people when you work in a restaurant and yeah, of course, but they know about this restaurant you look up and you see a table full of people enjoying themselves and eating food and hopefully enjoying the food and you're like, wow, it was through what I've created that's brought these people together. And hopefully they've, you know, lots of people will will exchange names, phone numbers, emails. But yeah, for me it's that interaction with the guests that I find the most pleasing. It, what I tend to do is I don't say what's your favorite thing on the menu, what did you enjoy the most? I, uh, the, the question that I ask guests is what did you enjoy the least? Because i find that i learn far much more than that um and it makes people think it makes people really think and go oh wow i wasn't expecting that question and it makes people really think and it allows you to yeah get really good really good quality feedback and sometimes people might go oh and i thought everything was absolutely amazing and that's fine but but what i'm really after in that moment is someone to tell me do you know what i thought that bit that, that element on that dish was a bit too acidic and i thought it slightly overpowered that or and you're not necessarily going to make a change to the dish just because one person said so but when you hear it's just good to take feedback and it allows you to to kind of just make things better
0: do you see yourself staying in Hackney forever or are you gonna go abroad
2: my dream is to have a destination restaurant in Sussex that's been a couple of years now that I've had that dream um, I don't have any specific connection to the to the county at all um, but it's for me a county that's perfectly equidistant from london and the coast you've got people that like to spend money on food if you're in london it's not too far a journey to to feel like oh that's way way out of my way but also you've got brighton for instance on the coast you've got um lewis you've got lots of you've got kind of affluence and good taste in that and you've also got shed loads of amazing food producers before even doing the research for 1198 i did lots of research into into the county of sussex you've got people making mozzarella yeah yeah this guy making buffalo mozzarella in sussex you've got so many um, vegetable growers, food producers, breweries, distilleries, um, ceramicists, you know, for, you know, using obviously tableware that's produced in the local area. Just everything that you could want in a in a county you have in Sussex. Also the terroir um, in Sussex is matched to the Champagne region. It's kind of twinned with the Champagne region. Hence the extensive wine production in Sussex. Amazing, amazing wine production. Um, lots of sparkling wines, lots of rosés being produced there. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a bountiful kind of part of England, and that's, in my mind, where I have this kind of dream destination restaurant as being, like, my, my real baby, where I kind of grow old, if you will.
0: Big plans and good taste. A fearsome combination. A reminder that with enough passion, grit, sheer graft, and a little community spirit, That there are rich pickings right on the doorstep if you know where to look. So there we have it, our first story of 2019, with plenty more to come. So spread the word, rate and subscribe on iTunes, Android and Spotify if you want to hear more. You've been listening to Dolstonia, a Lartig Limited production. Music for this week's show was by the inimitable Elvers. A very special thanks to Aidan Brooks of 1198 for his time, wisdom and patience. Details for his pop-up events and our social media links can be found at our website, dalstonia.com or you can email us at DolstoniaPodcasts at icloud.com So get in touch if you have any suggestions or comments. This is your host, Jason Cumming. Catch you next time with more from the people and the places from just off the ginger line.